Welcome to the Association 4.0 podcast, your association's no-fluff playbook to navigating and thriving in Industry 4.0 or the digital marketplace. Each week, we bring expert insights to help you and your association stay ahead of the curve. Hello, my name is Sherry Budziak, and I'm the host of the Association 4.0 podcast. I'm also the co-founder of .org Community and founder of .org Source Consultancy to Associations. Today, my guest is Dr. Michael Tatanetti. Michael is a certified association executive and a certified pro- pricing professional, and he's on a mission to advance associations and their pricing models for financial stability. As a founder of Pricing for Associations, He and his team work with associations to harmonize pricing and value across membership, education, sponsorship, events, and marketing. Michael is a proud Association Forum 40 Under 40 honoree for his dedication to the association field. That was a mouthful, huh? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So uh, welcome, Michael, and thanks so much for joining me today. (laughs) Yeah, thank you, Sherry, for having me. I'm excited to be here with you. (laughs) Awesome. So tell us a little bit about your background, and I'm especially interested in hearing about how you became interested in uh, pricing strategies. Yeah, so I I kind of fell into pricing the same way that most of us fall into associations. Um, I have had a full background in nonprofit work um, and made a pivot into associations. Um, and from there, I actually was working at professional pricing society. So I was over education, training, development, um, and worked with all the subject matter experts. And from there, I earned my certification just to earn it. Um, didn't really plan on doing anything with it, but then as I immersed myself more deeply into the association world, um, I, I just saw how there was a lack of that knowledge. And then especially the last, you know, three, four years with COVID and everything going on. Um, So for me, it just kind of became, at first it was, let me just help. Let me, you know, kind of answer questions or help peers. Um, And then it took on a life of its own and we started consulting. So, yeah. So I kind of fell into it like 10 years ago, this was not the plan, Um, but I love what I do. I love working with associations um, I've loved being in that field now for you know almost a decade, and uh, I really enjoy working on pricing with them. That's terrific. Yeah. So, um, you know, pricing, I think right now is very much you know the topic of the moment. Um, and at or community, we recently ran like a leadership collab event, and much of the conversa- conversation was centered around value and association professionals can deliver impactful value and. Um, you know, just kind of what are your thoughts um, on this topic and what strategies do you recommend when we're, we're assessing value? Yeah. So, <clears throat> I mean, when it comes to value, I, I think everything we do is just anything we deliver is value. So, you know, we, we kind of think of it as what's the new thing, what's the hot thing. And sometimes that is the case. And, and we have to keep our thumb on the pulse of changes, uh, both within the association space, but also our specific industries, whoever it is that we're, you know, serving. Um, but I would say as far as assessing value, I think that the big thing there is remember that when you're assessing anything, you're typically doing both quantitative and qualitative. And I think what associations tend to be good at is capturing qualitative feedback, but not quantifying it. So we're good at getting like testimonies 
or, oh, earning the certification, you know, helped, you know, advance careers or X percent of those who have gone through this program have a salary raise or a promotion, things like that. So I think we're pretty good at getting the, the stories individually, but collectively, I don't think that we quantify it well. And I think that's where it's a foreign topic. Um, so trying to determine, uh, uh, to put it simply, trying to determine um, how much value is it for your audience to do what you're doing for them? How much effort would they have to put into finding this elsewhere? Um, also the degree of you being, you know, as an association, you should be a level of a gold standard of approval, right? Because anyone can mm -hmm. go into chat GPT, go into Google yeah. and research information. And a lot of it can be great information, but you know, sometimes it's not. So it's, it's you, to me, the association is the hub of qualified thought leadership, not just any answer, but the right answers, hopefully. And so figuring out how do we quantify the value of that and 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 how that impacts the work then that our members are doing um that's where it gets tricky but but i would say if you're not quantifying it if you're only you know getting the qualitative the the great testimonies that's one part that matters but if you're not able to figure out a numerical that's where then maybe start considering how might we do that how do we how, how do we uh gather that information so i'm curious of how um you feel pricing strategies have changed over the last couple of years and what are the trends that you're seeing um kind of on the horizon and and has a pandemic altered the thinking in this area yeah it, it really has um i think that the pandemic was a magnifying glass on the lack of pricing strategy that a lot of associations mm -hmm. had um so i think every time i do a training I always ask the audience, typically, depending on what the talk is, but almost every talk I give, uh, I ask the audience, when's the last time you changed price or about how often and about how often are you assessing value? And it's not uncommon for half the audience, sometimes all of them to say it's been five, 10, 20 years, right? Yeah. Or yeah. there might be some products where they're like, yeah, we update that every year or two. Like they look at their event price or their sponsor prospectus, but maybe membership or maybe education, certification, they, they don't touch rarely, especially membership. And so to me, there was a knee-jerk reaction during the pandemic where a lot was given away for free. And I'm not mad about that, but was it always the right decision? No. Right. Uh, and then now I think as people are coming back out of that, I'm seeing a few things. One is things that were given away for less or free. Uh, it may not have been communicated as well as it could have that this was a truly like one-time thing. And now raising the price back up is hard or just raising the price period from pre-pandemic pricing. Um, and so I think a lot of orgs, what I'm seeing is a lot more orgs are saying, okay, we know there's a problem here, but we don't know what to do about it. So awareness though is the first step. So that's a good thing. Like at, at least they're like, okay, we know we got to do something here. We can't go 10 years without touching our price. You know, we know that we typically are going to have um, a, a recession about every 10 years. That's just economics we're going to have inflation. These are all normal things that are just a cycle of economics. Pandemics are once in a lifetime thing, God willing, right? Like, not yeah, right. but the point is we have to, we do have to plan for turbulent times. We're going to have them through multiple times in our career for our organization. So we can't uh, put our, our head in the sand. We have to be aware and have a strategy. So I guess, what do you think are some of the I guess, best 
pricing practices that associations um, should be using now? Yeah, um, I think in general, because of course it depends on the product, right? And and, yeah. and all that. There's so much that goes into it. But in general, I think some things that that associations should be doing is routinely raising the price incrementally of their products, um, normalize regular price increases. So every year, every two years, things should be going up a little bit. Um, I think also not not shying away from talking about price and financial sustainability as a nonprofit. So making sure that your audience understands that you are a nonprofit, that means you're reinvesting back in. You know, this isn't going into like, because we'll hear about inflation right now. And no matter, you know, political side, whatever, you know, we typically hear inflation and it's just lining the pockets of, of, of corporations right now. Um, and in some in- industries, that's true. And in some, it's not. I think for associations, it's important to get ahead and tell their truth, which is, this is reinvesting back into the organization to continue to move our mission forward. So, you know, shareholders are not getting payouts. It's we're, we're taking that extra money and we're upgrading our LMS because you've been asking for it and you want this functionality, or we're implementing this upgrade into our AMS, or we're adding this thing to the event, or we're adding a staff member here for customer support and membership because, you know, you guys have said that's what you need. So we're listening, we're doing um, you know, we're not just inflating like CEO salaries. So yeah. I, th- I think that matters a lot, the communication and regular price increases. And so then I guess, what do you think are some major pricing mistakes that people make? Um, I think one is not raising prices hardly ever. Uh, and, and I think another is throwing spaghetti at the wall and just guessing when you do. And yeah. what I mean by that is, okay, again, this is very generalized, right? Advice. But in general, I think most products you can kind of go up like one to three percent ish, maybe more. Uh, but but you know every year or two, and no one's going to bat an eye. Now again, over time, all that th- there's variables here, but that's a generalized. But what I will see is they don't raise prices for let's say ten or twenty years, and then all of a sudden they want to jump up fifty percent. Yeah, spaghetti. You have to kind of assess and go, okay, wait, where are we at? Where can we go? What? What value adjustments, like, have you been adding value to, let's say, membership for the last 10 years? Hopefully you have, but just not updating the price. And therefore, can you communicate that? Like, we're so proud of all of these upgrades and things that we've done, and we're going to continue to do that. So now we are going here so that we can uh, uh, financially supply to continue these types of updates. Um, or have you not updated member or value? And if so, then you need to do a value analysis first, figure out what updates are needed. Um, I've had some clients who I tell them, don't touch price for two or three years. You need to do these value adjustments first and build back the confidence of your audience before you can hit them with a the price increase. So it, it, again, it depends, but I would say the biggest mistakes are ignoring price. And then when you do, you you try to jump because it's been forever. And it's like, that that's not a sustainable strategy. Yeah. Cause I've seen organizations do that. It's where, as you're, you were talking, like we're adding programs, we're adding this, we're adding that. Well, now we've had to add all the staff or these resources, mm-hmm. um, but the price has never changed. And then now whatever it looks like, you know, eight years down the road, it's like, oh no, now what do we do? Because this is not sustainable. And if you go back and say like, look at all that they're getting, for this price, it doesn't make sense anymore. So that's exactly. a, a really good point. Um, 
So I guess, um, how do, how do pricing and organizational strategy, where do you see that kind of intersect? Yeah. So to me, pricing and value strategy, it should be at the heartbeat of organizational strategy, especially the value strategy, because your organizational strategy is typically going to be, what are you delivering, which is value to different constituents and how are you driving that mission forward? And therefore what staff are in place to deliver that value, what technology, what you know, resources, et cetera, are all in place to give the value that you're saying. And then based on that value, what is your fair share of the price that you should be charging to sustain those operations? Because if not, then your organization's just going to go away, period. You, you, we've learned that in COVID. Again, I think that was almost like the wake up was, wait, we, we can't afford to keep going this way or right. reserves were skim, right? And it's like, right. we're, we're, this isn't going to work. Um, so yeah, I, I think that it's directly tied. And I, I think that when you're talking about value, you're talking about what are you doing as an organization? And then we typically think operations, to me, that's value delivery. And then the finance is the price and sustainability. So to me, um, they're conversations we should be having, but I, again, I just don't think we, we do. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, what are some strategies for boosting member engagement? Yeah. So I think, um, ownership really matters. Uh, uh, and I think it has for a while. So whether the org, whether the association listening to this realizes that or not, um, you know, I think again, you think 50 years ago, 70 years ago, people would join their association and it just was what it was. And it was kind of a no brainer. We didn't really, yeah. you know, right. Like member dues were the majority of revenue and it, that's just what it was so now. Did. Yeah. Like now people need to have ownership and feel an incentive to join. What, what is the mission? Why are we doing this collectively? So, and again, that's where you quantify things like lobbying even, right. Whether you're a state org, national org, um, uh, that impact. And yes, it impacts the industry. So whether someone's a member or not, they get that benefit of any, any productive lobbying that you've done for your audience. But, um, I, I think, I think having them have ownership. So really when you're doing a value analysis saying, what do you need? How can we better help you? And thinking outside of that box, really listening. Um, I like to ask questions when I'm doing a value analysis around where else do you get related information? What can we learn from them? Um, again, we're competing not just with, you know, quote unquote, other associations or uh, knowledge hubs, but but with just about everything, even our sponsors, in a way, tend to become competitors because they recognize that thought leadership matters in converting. And that's typically the heart of what associations do is a lot of thought leadership sharing, uh, best practices, et cetera. So I, I just think asking them what they need and then really telling that story of, okay, we're listening, we've heard you, we're doing this, we're really proud to be doing this. And again, we're going to continue in this direction. So I think um, them seeing follow through and us just listening and learning and saying, here's how we can do this. Um, it creates that buy-in and, and that is what's going to keep people engaged and coming back because then they feel like their needs are being met and they trust you. Great. Um, so Michael, I'm kind of, I'm really curious on your thoughts on the uh, current association business model. So I'm wondering, you know, do you foresee any significant changes and some, some groups are, you know, experimenting with a variety of due structures. Um, have you seen any of the new strategies or, and things that are successful or just things to stay away from? 
Yeah, um, I'm seeing two things. One um, is, I, again, you know, I would say the industry went from being dues heavy to event heavy. We've centered, I would say pre-pandemic, we centered most of our revenue around running events, sponsorship that's yeah. mostly anchored to events. Um, I think now in that tradition, I think that it's moving more, of course, to digital education, not even just virtual events, but digital education. I think whatever that looks like, uh, uh, town halls, upgrading webinars to real, you know, learning, not just sales pitches, um, podcasts, access to all these different, you know, different learning modalities, not just white papers, but really incorporating audio video. So I think that's one thing that's interesting to see and almost feels in a way like the next frontier. And then as far as membership models, what I have been consistently seeing is a move towards more and more organizational uh, sales. And mm -hmm. so even if it's, again, you know, not a, a trade or a society, but a, or I mean a trade, but, but an actual society of individuals, they're still thinking, how do we get the entire department signed up? How do we get different sites all signed up? Uh, group sales of, of certifications or certificate programs, things like that. So I'm seeing more and more where there's research on LinkedIn of, okay, we think, you know, you have 100 members from your organization, but it looks like you've got about a thousand people in related roles that could all be members. What if we charge you for 200 people and all 1000 are members? Because not all of them are going to log in. The cost to put them in the AMS is, you know, two bucks a year per person. It's minimal when you spread it out, but we up our number of members. Hopefully they become engaged and purchase other things. So I'm seeing a lot more uh, of that, of moving to um, organizational level mindset for business development, for membership sales, uh, educational sales. Um, so that's been interesting uh, uh, to see. And I think it's mission aligned in that it's trying to serve the most amount of people possible, but still at a profit. Um, the one thing I think that could come back to bite is when you look at active members, voting members, et cetera, those who are really stepping up um, open rates, all that. It's great the first year or two to tell sponsors, hey, we've gone from 10 to 15,000 members, but when your email open rate dives down, you know, and you have that data, uh, that might impact their willingness to pay, et cetera. So um, we'll see what happens. It's all an experiment. Yeah. yeah. I think people, you know, I, I, I'm seeing that as well. Um, and I saw an organization though do this many years ago. Um, and what they, I don't think projected was how many individual members, members were a part of a, an organization. And then once they rolled those up to kind of a cheaper price for organizational membership, they actually lost money. So I think, you know, making sure you have the data to, yep. su to support yep. a change like that before, because the numbers seem great, like, oh yeah, we can add all of these people, but they didn't realize if you had, you know, 40 people individual at one organization and now the membership what they're paying is like half. So it was yep. more of a win for the organization than it was for the association. Yes. Yes. I've seen oh, that yeah. too. <clears throat> I've seen that too with some orgs that just do it on their own and don't really, yeah. Like run numbers. So, run yeah. yeah, yeah. I, I've, I've, I've seen that as well. So it's, it, you've got to be careful. And one thing I usually tell it when you're moving to that type of model is never just do an open unlimited, always have tiers 
um, you know, up to whatever, let's, let's say yeah. it's like 1,000 or up to 5,000 or up to 250 or whatever. This way you kind of protect yourself, but yeah. 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 That's a really, uh, if they don't have that data or that expertise in house, uh, that's why they need to call you. Right. <laughs> yeah, right. 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 <laughs> oh, so anyway, how do you, uh, how do you use technology to improve pricing? You brought up you know, yeah. yeah, you can incrementally, you know, easily add people to an AMS or that sort of thing. But what what are your thoughts on on technology to improve pricing? Yeah, I would say, um, I, I okay, so I would say there that most of the technology is, that we use is more based around value analysis. Okay. Um, so I think, um, I, I think, of course, every org I would assume, or the majority, right? Not not all, but the majority have. Uh, some kind of survey platform. Um, so mm-hmm. of course, leveraging that. Um, I think that uh, even quick, like I usually have my clients, um, you know, when you do like a value analysis, that might be a deep dive survey. Think of like a membership survey where you are asking 20 questions, 50 questions, like some big thing. But outside of that, you know, do quick touch points quarterly, maybe, or or, or semi-annually, you know, in between that. Just, you know, and and usually I'll have a bank of like 10 questions and I'll say, pick one to three of them and and rotate them just to keep your thumb on the pulse. So things like, um, again, maybe have you gotten a raise based on whatever the certification or wh- whatever it is, mm-hmm. or um, uh, what's a quick way that your membership or maybe access to the resource center helped you? Like, you know, one person at one point said, uh, you know, whenever my boss asks me a question, about this specialty, I know I can log into the resource hub and find something and give, again, the right information, not just any information, but the right information. So stories like that help. Um, I also, I would say chat GPT for me has been good for helping with writing value propositions or value language uh, for like sales pages, marketing copy, so you can feed it um, certain things there and say, hey, you know, we, we're looking to jazz this up or whatever. Or sometimes, uh, you know, I might give it three sentences and say, turn this into one to two paragraphs just to help kind of, you know, feel it out a bit and, and add to it. Um, so it, it, it kind of depends or maybe finding other adjectives, et cetera. So ChatGPT can be good there. We do use it in-house a bit. Um, as far as pricing analysis, we tend to do a lot of work um, there in Excel and in our own like data system. So that's something most associations aren't going to get too deep into. They usually want to yeah. outsource that, but we do use uh, again there for charting and and kind of plotting willingness to pay based on answers that we've gotten. Um, so we use technology for everything. I mean, it just it makes it so much quicker. So I would say lean into it. Don't shy away from it. Uh, I know ChatGPT is a huge topic right now in AI. And the reality is uh, it'll move as fast or as slow as it does. We have no control over it. And uh, you just lean into it. That's it. It's it's just like anything else going from sending flyers to email marketing or yeah. getting in social, or you can try to fight it, but you're not going to. So lean in, figure out how you can use it to your advantage for your department, for your function. Um, that That's how I look at it. Yeah. I, uh, I'll, uh, show my age here as I tell this story, but I worked for an association um, that we developed one of the first, if not the first association website. And so then I went from that to another association where we built websites for other associations. Mm -hmm. Um, They had a for-profit subsidiary that did that. And I was talking about like the panic right now around um, 
you know, people talking about chat GPT taking over the world and whatever, um, <laughs> that I go, remember in Y2K when everything was going to crash? So yeah. I was in charge of <laughs> IT and web services and I got to the, I got to the office and I'm sitting there managing all of these association websites waiting for the server to crash. Ooh. And it never did. We had we yep. were on we had pagers, yep. everything waiting for yep. it just to, you know, crash. Yep. So I'm hoping that that's gonna be the same experience yeah. that your point is like lean into it. There's nothing we can, you know, there's and, nothing. Yeah. <laughs> And, and I think it's, so it, it's almost like we know what you were doing. Like after three, two, one, you probably logged in. And <laughs> but, you know, but, and that's the thing, again, I think owning it and saying, how can we use this? Because we know as well, you know, chat GPT, sometimes the output isn't the best, right? Right. And so you still have to have strategists, creatives, you still have to have, um, uh, 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 again, like DEI, everything, even with like the AI around imaging and video to know, okay, like. Like is representation here? Is this who we want to be seen as? There's just so many things. Like you still need experts right now, at least today. ChatGPT is not the expert, but it's a great tool to help. And then we'll see where it goes. Right? I don't know. Right? Yeah. Right. Um, So give us uh, some of your advice on what you think um, association leaders can do um, in the next over the next few years to be successful. Yeah, I would say that if you do not have a pricing and value strategy, if you don't have like a governance document that really outlines parameters and, you know, all, all, all the things, if it's kind of, you just go for it and it's in your head. Um, I would say one thing is if you have not raised prices, start raising them, normalize it. Um, we have a lot of, I, I, I'm never the like plug person, but our blog really does have like a lot of good resource there and material and like examples of communicating increases and all that. So check out anywhere, just Google find there's stuff out there for pricing. Even if you look up for for-profit, right. You can, you can pivot it to, to the association space. So, you know, start raising the price, start communicating. Um, but the big thing I would really say that I'm almost saying more than raise the price is if you have not analyzed value, go do that. Figure out, don't do every product because you've probably got at least 10. Start with, you know, what are your one to three big revenue drivers and not just revenue drivers, but I would then also maybe narrow it down to, to profit drivers. Because for example, your event yeah. might be a big revenue driver, but when you look at your profit margin versus maybe digital education or membership, they're probably, you know, a way bigger profit margin. So start there and then go, okay, what, again, just value, run a value survey. We've got a blog with like a template on it for free on the website. Google, whatever, just ask chat GPT, however you figure, yeah. but like do, do some value work, ask your audience, what are we doing? Well, what are we not doing? Well, what are, where else are you going again? And what can we learn from them? Um, uh, uh, you know, what could we maybe sunset or are you at, what are you not accessing? What are you accessing? And I always say, ask demographic questions too, because some might say, we don't care about this, but then you start realizing it's certain segments and again, that impacts then how do you market to these different segments? So someone who's, uh, you know, a, a, a young professional or someone who's more of a hiring manager, 
probably cares about your career center a lot more than someone who's about to retire. It doesn't mean you get rid of the career center. It means they, the retiree, almost retiree doesn't care because it's not a part of their function. So um, that's just like one quick example. So I would say focus on the value. If you have not for the last three years, really focus on what value are we delivering and where are we missing the mark? And then you go, okay, now out of this, what can we realistically do in the next few years? And do we need more revenue to do it? Do we have enough in reserves, but you still raise the price, but, but all that then kind of drives the pricing discussion, but start with value. And um, where can they find your website and your blog? Yeah, the website's pricingforassociations.com, and that, which is, that's easy. And then it's uh, forward slash blog for the blog. Um, and literally there's like templates there, everything it's, it, it honestly is good information. And that's a lot of people say that that's not me saying it. So <laughs> that's great. Go steal, go steal whatever you can <laughs> from our blog. <laughs> that's great. So Michael, can you share like a pricing problem and solution that you came up with? Yeah. Uh, whew, let me think there's been a lot. Um, I'll, I'll give two examples that maybe to show the variety again, because I, I, I don't think pricing and values one size fits all in what every association right now needs to be doing. Um, one org came to me, they're an association, they blew up a lot uh, pre-pandemic because of some media coverage in a good way, blew up meaning gained a lot of members, not, not blew up in a bad way. <laughs> uh, but, uh, but, but they got some great media coverage and just exponentially grew beyond they had planned it all. And uh, in that, they didn't raise price, they didn't touch price, but they also didn't really touch value. And then COVID happened and, you know, everything. And so they came to me uh, a year or two ago, probably, and we did, you know, value analysis, pricing analysis, ran a lot of focus groups, talked with their people. Uh, they had four clear segments of like member types. Um, so really spent a lot of time deep diving. And what we found with them, their one, I, I kind of mentioned earlier, but they're one where we found that because they had not touched the value, most of the value was beneficial when someone first signed up. But after that, it wasn't like once they had it, they had it. And there was really no ongoing value. And so to raise the price, most members felt like I'm willing to pay that for my initial year. But then like, I feel like I should actually pay less, not more. And so the work that we did, it was, okay, but what else can we do? And what does that look like? And a lot of it was some simple things, um, things around like they didn't feel like headquarters was communicating enough. Um, you know, like the CEO wasn't as visible. So like really doing town halls beyond just annual, really like hearing from seeing, uh, doing more video on Facebook, things like that. And then there were some value adds, um, digital education that they wanted. Um, the conference was, was not as accessible because of the cost. Uh, for most members to send more than one person. And so uh, most most orgs, it was a small team of maybe four to six members for context there. So, uh, uh, you know, they would typically send one person and they would bring back the notes. So by adding in recordings, things like that, that also helped. So they were one where I said, okay, wait a year or two, do these things, but then here's where you can go. Um, another one though, uh, uh, another org that I worked with um, we actually looked at uh, membership, uh, a certification and like three different events that they do. And we found that in most of it, they could absolutely go up and the value was already there and the people were already bought in, especially with one event in particular. Um, it was kind of a no brainer where they were able to take the, the, the price up about 
Uh, I think it was something, it was somewhere around like 25 to maybe 40%, which was huge and without really touching the value. So that's pretty much all profit. So that's a great thing. And not, not that case for all of the, you know, product products, but, but across the board, they were able to raise prices. So sometimes you can raise price and you don't need to do much because you've already been doing the value add. Sometimes you haven't been doing the value add, so you need to stop. And then other times, maybe it's somewhere in the middle where it's like, okay, we've been adding some, but if we add a little more and now we can go here with the price. Um, so yeah, so it, it all depends. I think that's why you really got to have a real look at your org and go, okay, where are we at? And listen to your audience. Mm -hmm. So uh, I'm curious, like, so who are the leaders today that you kind of most admire and why? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I can think, I can think of two. I'm going to, okay. I'm going to say one really famous person and then one association person. Okay. The, great. The, fam <laughs> the famous person I can think of is for me is Michelle Obama. I really value that as a person, again, politics aside, whoever's listening, whatever their thoughts are, I value that to me, she has remained someone who just seems really grounded and rooted and knows herself and knows her values. And then in that operates from that. And also in a way, um, I don't know how else to put it, but uh, really, I feel like she understands seasons. Like she, in a way um, it's hard for me. I feel like to say this as a man with her being a woman, but I value that when you hear her story now, she made decisions for herself on what mattered in each season of her life when she was really in the spotlight, when she yeah. stood back. I, as, as a parent, I value that because there are times where I choose not to do things in my career because I want to be home more. And then there are some times where I travel more, right, for speaking and all that. Yeah. And it's, it's just, uh, I don't know, I value the rootedness and the knowing yourself and operating from that, not from the craziness that can be around you. Um, and then the other is an association person um, uh, uh, and, and a mutual friend of ours, actually. But I really value Terry Cardin as a leader. And the reason is I've been able to see behind the scenes with her a bit. Um, she's someone that, in case listeners don't know, talks about like Nandu's Revenue and runs Nandu's Apalooza. And um, she's done a lot of stuff with .org community. So I, she's someone that I see her as a leader with her people. Um, really enabling them like, okay, you're the, you're the expert here, go. And she's always available. Like she puts her phone number on her website. Yeah, she like, does. She, she's like, if you're thinking about coming to this event and you have a question, just call me. And I'm like, most people would never do that. Right. They would give <laughs> a, a, a contact us email that yeah. someone else is. She's just so, and again, I'm not saying that's what everybody should do. I, I don't mm -hmm. do that on my website because I have certain boundaries for my time, but I just love watching her be authentic and really care about what she does and how she shows up in the space. So yeah. for different reasons, I, I, I would say I admire both of them as leaders. Yeah. I love Terry and you're right. <laughs> yeah. I could text her at any time, text her right now during yeah. this, yes. this podcast. She'd probably respond. Right. <laughs> right. Absolutely. Like, hey, I'm talking to Michael. <laughs> She's like, great. And I told you about him. Yes. <laughs> right. 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 Always. She's always. Like, you have to talk to him. I'm and like, it's probably, okay. a, it's probably a video. It's never, it's not just a text either. Like she'll record a video like <laughs> right now and you know, yeah. whatever she's doing. So yeah. just, it's just, I think just showing up and being, you know, just, just, yeah, just that showing up authentically is, is awesome as a leader. 
That's great. Yeah. Um, so my last question for you today is, how, how would you like to see associations evolve in the future? I would love if associations would have a pricing and value governance document. And if they would really put Ooh, down, that's a good one. Yes. If they would really put down to paper, here's how often we assess the value for each of the products in our portfolio. Here's how we do it. Whatever. Here's survey templates, focus group templates, who's responsible. Here's, here's how we do pricing analysis. Here's how often we do it for each product. Again, here's you know focus group materials and survey templates and all that. And who, who are the decision makers? When do we discount? In what cases do we discount? What are our loss leaders? What are the things that we rely on more for profitability? Um, what's our policy around reserves and, and, and trying to have you know what amount of, of operating budget? Um, what do we do when there is a recession or inflation or a pandemic? Like, how do we plan to respond? And some things, you know, some, I've, I've always heard since I was probably like 21 that, you know, most, most policy handbooks are a response to something that happened, right? Like it's usually something happens, then we add it as an SOP, like, oh yeah, you know, whatever crazy story. So there might be things we aren't even thinking of right now that I would say add to a governance document in five or 10 more years. But starting with how do we do this? How do we deliver value? How do we assess it? How do we figure out price, communicate price increases, all those things. Um, uh, I think that that would be phenomenal if organizations could have like an SOP around that. Well, that's great. That's thanks for the great advice today, Michael. I, yeah. I really appreciate it. And, um, Hopefully, thanks to our listeners. Hopefully, they got a lot of value out of this uh, podcast, my interview with you today. Um, and if somebody wants to contact you, uh, how can they do that? I know we've mentioned your website, but is there, um, I know you're not going to give your cell phone number like yeah. Terry, but. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, no, I don't know my cell number. That's, that's right. <laughs> but, uh, but LinkedIn, I'm super active on LinkedIn. So I, you can go to our website, pricingforassociations.com and there's a contact form, but if you just want to directly, uh, message me on LinkedIn, um, you can add me, message me. I'm good for sending voice notes back over typing typically, but I, I always respond and that's me on LinkedIn, you know, at managing my LinkedIn account replying. Um, so it's, it's an easy way to, to ask a question if you have one. All right. Terrific. Well, thank you again. I really appreciate it. And hopefully we'll talk again soon. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Sherry. We hope you enjoyed this episode and discovered tips and information that will add value to your leadership style and your association. Dot.org Source specializes in positioning teams for success with solutions for technology, strategy, and marketing please contact us at info at orgsource.com or visit www.orgsource.com to find out how to keep your organization on track to Association 4.0.